भद्रम करने भी शुणुयाम देवा ओम भद्रम करने भी शुणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येमाक्षेजत्रा भद्रम पश्येमाक्षेजत्रा स्थिरंगुष्टुवागुम सस्तनुभि स्थिरंगुष्टुवागुम सस्तनुभि व्यशेम देवितयदायु व्यशेम देवितयदायु स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति न पूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्ति न पूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्ति नस्ताक्षोरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नस्ताक्षोरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शातिशाशाति This peace chant means, Om, O gods, may we hear auspicious words with our ears, may we see auspicious things with the eyes, all the time engaged in sacrifices, while praising the gods with steady limbs, may we enjoy a life that is beneficial to the gods. May Indra of ancient fame be auspicious to us. May the supremely rich or all-knowing Pusha, the god of the earth, be propitious to us. May Garuda, the destroyer of evil, be well disposed towards us. May Brihaspati ensure our welfare. Om, peace, peace, peace. Sit. So, this is uh, a peace chant you know in before studying any of the upanishads we need to have a we, we usually have a peace chant come 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 could those who are sitting could you just go back a little shift shift a little uh, little bit so that others who come can sit <coughs> <coughs> Come closer. <coughs> we don't have to all, this one. all right. <coughs> so the Mandukya Upanishad um, belongs to the Atharvana Veda. You know, we have uh, four Vedas, the ancient Hindu scriptures the Rig Veda, the Yajur Veda, the Sama Veda and the Atharvana Veda and the different Upanishads are scattered among these Vedas. So the Mandukya Upanishad belongs to the Atharvana Veda and this uh, uh, but particular Vedas have their particular peace chants. 
So this particular peace chant which we just read, which we will chant before every class, is from the Atharvanaveda and it is associated with each of the Upanishads of the Atharvanaveda. So for example, the Mandukya Upanishad. Another Upanishad from the <coughs> Atharvanaveda is the Mundaka Upanishad or the Prashna Upanishad. These are all Upanishads from the Atharvanaveda. Now, it's not there. It should be there. Let me see the book. You can't have, the, the book will be faulty if it starts without the peace chant. Is the Sanskrit is missing? Yes. Which is a big lacuna. <laughs> that is interesting. <coughs> yeah, if uh, anybody else wants a copy, are, are there copies left? Yeah. 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 You need two? Yeah. Okay, three. Mm -hmm. Every book should have it, yes. Yeah, and we will we'll give you a photocopy later on. They must have overlooked it. Yes, that's interesting. No, it isn't. All right, we'll uh, photocopy it and uh, distribute it next time. Also, one more thing we need to have is um, an English uh, transliteration of the Sanskrit text. For those who cannot read the uh, Devanagari, the Sanskrit, we need to have an English translation. It's available, I think. You can look, look, we can look it up in the internet and see um, if we can get a transliteration. Just the original text. Um, the Upanishad and the Karikas. All right. The Upanishads are many in number. In fact, we find an account um, that, you know, a very interesting story about <coughs> Rama and Hanuman where uh, Hanuman asks Rama, that how do I get uh, moksha, liberation? And Rama says to him, read the Mandukya. Literally, actually. Uh, he says that there are these Upanishads and he gives a list of 108 Upanishads. So we have a, a, a 108 Upanishads which are available. We hear of many more Upanishads which have been lost over time. But uh, 108 of them are authentically available. And you find a list in, um, in that place. In the, I think it's in the Muktika Upanishad, where Ramachandra gives a list of 108 Upanishads. But there he says, Mandukyam ekameva alam mumukshunam vimuktaye. For those who are seeking moksha, liberation, the Mandukya Upanishad by itself is sufficient. If you study that, that's it, you will get liberation. If you don't, then you study the ten main Upanishads. The ten main or major Upanishads are the ones on which 
Shankaracharya wrote commentaries. So basically Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta is based on the 10 main Upanishads, all the Upanishads of course, but basically the 10 main Upanishads and the commentaries of Shankaracharya on those. So what are the 10 main Upanishads? In, uh, to remember the names of the 10 major Upanishads, <coughs> in Uttarakhanda, in Himalayas, the monks have a little verse. It goes like this. Isha kena katha prashna mundamandukya titirihi aitareyam chachandogyam brihad aranyakam tatha. It goes like this. Isha Upanishad, Kena Upanishad, Katha Upanishad, Isha Kena Katha, Prashna Upanishad, then um, Mundaka Upanishad, Mandukya Upanishad, the one which we are going to study. Then the uh, Aitareya Upanishad, uh, the Taittiriya Upanishad, the Chandogya Upanishad and the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. Ten of these Upanishads. <coughs> Shankaracharya um, selected these ten to write commentaries in Sanskrit on these Upanishads. And that became the basis of what we call uh, modern Advaita Vedanta. This he did about 1200 years ago. There is one more Upanishad, the Shvetashvatar Upanishad, where um, Shankaracharya wrote a commentary, but uh, it is a little of, of doubtful provenance because scholars doubt whether the original Shankaracharya wrote the commentary. You know, there have been many Shankaracharyas. Shankaracharyas and, and the heads of the four uh, matas, the four monasteries established by Shankaracharya in four corners of India, the uh, heads are also called Shankaracharyas. And many of them wrote many wonderful texts. Sometimes it just goes by the name Shankaracharya. So ten without any doubt. So the idea is study the Upanishads, study the Mandukya Upanishad and get illumination. And if you do not get illumination by that, then you are welcome to study the, uh, the ten Upanishads, the other nine. If you do not get illumination, Ramachandra goes on to say there are 32 Upanishads. And if that doesn't work for you, there is the whole list of 108, uh, 108 Upanishads, which you can study. Now... Um, the Mandukya Upanishad is also interestingly the, not only the most powerful of, of all of them, it's also the smallest. It has only 12 mantras, 12 mantras. So you might think that if it's the smallest and it's the most powerful and it's enough for illumination, so why don't you start with that? Why is it considered difficult or, you see, it's... Um, it's extraordinarily concentrated. I mean, the, the wisdom, Advaitic teaching is packed into it. And uh, a little familiarity with uh, Advaita is required before you can touch this. It's like a live wire. Uh, in India, they, in Bengali, they say dhani lanka. This is like a peppers, a hot pepper. A little, it's very little, but it's very hot. So in the same way, this, this Upanishad is very little, but it's very hot. Um, we already have familiarity. Many of us here have been with Vedanta with, for years and years. And in the recent past, over the last year, we have studied um, parts of the Panchadashi. We have studied the Drigdrishya Viveka. And we have been listening to Aparokshanubhuti classes. And uh, 
standalone lectures on Vedanta. So I think we are ready, and even if we are not, here we go. <laughs> um, it'll be an exciting journey, so stay with us um, on this journey. I will be uh, teaching the Mandukya Upanishad with the Karikas here, and what the Karikas are, are I will explain. Um, and hopefully, yes, by the end of the journey or somewhere in between, we will get illumined, or if not at, uh, entirely uh, enlightened, at least we'll have a better grasp on Advaita than when we started off. So that's the goal. Now, the Mandukya Upanishad, as I said, the, it has 12 verses or 12 mantras. Mandukya Upanishad. It has 12 mantras. These Upanishads were the discoveries, let's say, of rishis, um, sages, who were at the, at the very fountainhead of the Vedic tradition. And in superconscious states, they discovered spiritual truths, which they poured forth in poetic uh, Vedic Sanskrit. So legend goes that at the source of Mandukya Upanishad, there was somebody called Manduka Rishi. Now, it might be a colorful story, it, because we don't know anything else really about this Manduka Rishi, other than that the name matches Mandukya. So, uh, it, it just might be a kind of back calculation. The Upanishad is called Mandukya, so the, the Rishi who taught it must be called Manduka. You derive the name Mandukya from Manduka. Manduka also means frog, so in, 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 in Sanskrit. So, maybe it's the wisdom of a frog, who knows. So that's shrouded in mystery. But what is not mysterious is, by the way, the Upanishads were all given by rishis, by sages, who uh, experienced these truths and, and um, gave it out in these poetic forms. But it has been transmitted afterwards. These rishis were householders. They were uh, invariably, they were married. Uh, their disciples, later on, it has been transmitted by a monastic tradition. So the Mandukya Upanishad, it has been commented on by Gaudapada Acharya. Gaudapada Acharya. Gaudapada was Shankaracharya's guru's guru. So we are going beyond Shankaracharya here. Um, most of the texts we study were written by Shankaracharya or the commentaries of Shankaracharya or by the disciples of Shankaracharya. Um, Gaudapada was the guru, uh, guru of Govindapada and Govindapada was the guru of Shankaracharya. And Shankaracharya's disciples all the way down to say, say Todapuri who was the guru of Sri Ramakrishna. And so we are the followers of Sri Ramakrishna. So that's an unbroken line we can trace it back historically at least up to Gaudapada Acharya. There are names of gurus before Gaudapada Acharya also, but uh, they are mythological. They, they, you find their names in Puranas, in, in, in myth, 
you cannot locate them in history exactly. So, for example, Gaudapada's guru was supposed to be Shukadeva. Uh, so, who's uh, basically from, from, from a sage, a sage from, from the um, Puranas. Yes, you find the names in ancient scriptures. You want to put it there? All right, thank you. Now, Gaudapada is associated with the Mandukya because he took this Upanishad and wrote 215 verses commenting on these 12 mantras. 215 verses called Karika. Karikas are verses. So, Gaudapada wrote 215 Karikas on the 12 mantras. Hence, now you have a text which is 227 verses. It has become a tradition to study the Upanishad along with the Karikas. So, when you study the Upanishad, you study the 12 mantras of the Upanishad and the 215 Karikas all together, which is what we shall do. On all of these, the 12 mantras and the 215 um, Karikas, Acharya. in between, remember, there was Govindapada. Shankaracharya, he wrote a commentary called a Bhashyam. So, the Upanishad, this is the Upanishad, these are the Karikas and this is the Bhashyam. This is what you find in your book, um, the commentary of Shankaracharya. If you open your book and you will see the English translation of the commentary, you will see Shankaracharya's commentary it, it, in between. There will be the Upanishad, there will be the verses of Gaudapada and in English translation in that book you will find the commentary of Shankaracharya. What we are going to study, we will study at this level, the Upanishad of course and the Karikas. The, the commentary of Shankaracharya, I will refer to it quite often, but I am not going to teach it line by line. I am going to use it to teach. But um, we are not going to go into the commentary directly um, because then you tend to get bogged down. I want first of all to get the straight, get, go straight to the heart of the Upanishad with the help of the Karikas. These Karikas are organized in four chapters called Prakaranas. Four Prakaranas. Four chapters. And the chapters are Agama, I'll tell you why they are called that, Agama Prakarana, the Vaitathya Prakarana, Advaita Prakarana and Alata Shanti Prakarana. Four chapters. The first chapter is called Agama Prakarana or the Agama chapter. Agama literally means the Vedas. What's one name for the Vedas is Agama. <coughs> so, because, so why is the first chapter called Agama? Because the first chapter includes the Upanishad. 
the Mandukya Upanishad, the 12 verses, that little Upanishad is in the first chapter. It is embedded in the first chapter. And in the first chapter are a few karikas. There are a few karikas along with the 12 mantras. So the 12 mantras, the entire Upanishad, plus a few verses of, of Gaurapada, comprise the first chapter called the Agama Prakarana, which we are going to start. Yes. Verses. verses. Literally means verses. They are explanations of the 12 mantras? Yes. Up, uh, the, the 12 mantras are the original Upanishad, which we will study of course, and explanations and comments on them in the form of poet poetic verses written by Gaudapada Acharya. And there are comments in Sanskrit on both of them, the Upanishad and the Karikas by Shankaracharya. So Shankaracharya treats the Karikas at the level of the Upanishads. Because he takes them together and writes commentaries. But these karikas are, yes, they are explanations. They are always explanations of these mantras. Now, the first chapter contains the Upanishad and the karikas. And only the first chapter contains the Upanishads. The other chapters, because the first chapter contains the Upanishads, it's called the Agama, the Vedic portion. You know, the Upanishad is a part of the Vedas, so it's a Vedic portion. The other three chapters contain only the karikas. The rem remaining karikas are in the other three chapters. The Upanishad itself is, is, is finished, is, is completed in the first chapter itself. So what are the other three chapters about? The second chapter, Vaitatya Prakarana, is the chapter on falsity. It's not a false chapter, it's a chapter on the falsity of the world appearance. Vaitatya literally means not thus. Vitatha means not thus. What it appears to, it's not what it appears to be. So the second chapter uses only logic and experience. No reference to scriptural authority. Just logic and experience to show you using sheer logic based upon our experience that the world is this world, waking world we experience is no more real than our dreams. So that's a very interesting chapter, second chapter. The third chapter is, the same logic can be, might be used to prove that even non-duality, Advaita is, is also not real. So the third chapter is to show that Advaita is real, non-duality is real. The world of duality which we experience is false. This is the purpose of the second chapter, to demonstrate that based on logic. And the third chapter, again based on logic and uh, ex uh, based on our experience and reasoning, is to show that non-duality is real. It is to explain non-duality on the basis of reasoning. And there are many, many other schools, by some accounting, 34 different philosophical schools which have been taken up at different points. In the fourth chapter, Alata Shanti, the word Alata Shanti requires explanation. It, it literally translates as Quenching of the firebrand. Alata means it's a Buddhist expression. Um, a firebrand, if it is whirled around, it looks like a circle. So it, it, there is uh, no circle there. It's just one dot of fire being whirled around. So that was an ex expression used by the Buddhists to show why the world seems to be continuous. It's actually a continuous stream of consciousness. Um, so that's where the word alata Alata Chakra came. So it's a derivation from that. 
alata shanti prakaran quenching the world uh, uh, um, the firebrand but basically what what goes on in the fourth chapter is many different points of view are taken up and they are um, uh, they are shown to be um, not right or not correct compared to the non dualist point of view so this is the mandukya upanishad and the mandukya karika you can just call it the mandukya karika the moment you call it mandukya karika mandukya upanishad is included within it okay now what does the what does it teach we are going to start the first one the the agama prakarana gaudapada shankaracharya's guru's guru um the name pada just means it's an honorific i mean it it just means a revered person a revered sir so shankaracharya himself would be called shankaracharya bhagavat pada so the pada just means uh, revered sir gauda ref- refers to bengal actually so um gauda pada would probably have been somebody from bengal in um very long ago about 1300 or 1400 years ago gauda refers to the northern part of bengal okay now let's go to the first chapter agama prakarana all of vedanta basically tells us that that our i this limited i i which is uh, which seems to be completely associated with this body and mind is actually an undivided infinite i it's this limitation which is the cause of sorrow is the cause of unhappiness limitation means i think i am limited to this body and hence i am limited by birth by aging by disease and death i am limited to this particular mind so my knowledge is limited my thoughts are i am subject to anxiety and despair all sorts of and desire and greed and all sorts of problems so these limitations of the i that i have rooted i have trapped myself in this body mind complex this is the source of all our problems and vedanta insists that we are making a huge mistake this i is not limited it's actually an unlimited i which we have limited by covering it up and, and trapping it within the prison of a body mind complex a body mind identity and what vedanta intends to do is to point out to you your own infinite undivided nature which exists just now which exists right here which exists effortlessly without any kind of effort it does not require lots of meditation to become infinite it does not require lots of devotion to become infinite i mean suppose you are, I, i am here i am i think i am sarvapriyananda how much meditation does it require for me to realize i am sarvapriyananda nothing i know i am sarvapriyananda how much singing and dancing and devotion and rituals does it require for me to become sarvapriyananda nothing you think i'm crazy if i'm doing a big puja for what to become sarvapriyananda 
Hey, Swami, you already are Sarva Priyananda. You don't have to worry about it. So, I, now, now one has to be careful here. What one requires, come. Does one need Vedanta to become Brahman? No, not even Vedanta. You don't even need the Mandukya class to become, become infinite. And then, then why are we here? Why are we here? We are here because the claim that I am an infinite I, not a limited I, this claim, it's just a claim to us. It does not seem like that to us. Vedanta says we are suffering from ignorance about ourselves. That bears repetition. We are suffering from ignorance about ourselves. We do not know ourselves as we truly are. Vivekananda would often say in this country with a touch of pathos, if only you knew yourselves as you truly are. So we do not know ourselves as we truly are, as this infinite I. And Vedanta just points this out to us. The approach that Vedanta takes is gently, again and again, in many different ways, pointing it out to us, the truth, in the hope, with the prayer, that we will notice. The moment you notice, the work is done. Because what you are expected to notice is already there. And once you notice it, the work is done. You know it, for it's yours forever. So the hope is that as we study the Mandukya, it will suddenly dawn upon us what they are talking about. That's the approach of, of, uh, of Vedanta, especially Mandukya Upanishad. Mandukya Upanishad, as I said, it's very concentrated. Why is it concentrated? See, the Mandukya Upanishad is about Om. We'll, we'll so, soon see what I mean. What, what is Om and what is, what's it about? But if you go to Katha Upanishad, for example, another of the Upanishads, very popular Upanishad, the story of the little boy Nachiketa who went to the house of death, to Yama's house. There you find the story of Nachiketa, how Nachiketa goes to Yama's house and how Yama gives him three boons and what are the boons that Nachiketa asks and how Yama and, and then Nachiketa finally uh, prays for the ultimate knowledge, the knowledge of the self and Yama says, first tempts him, the temptation of Nachiketa and Nachiketa overcomes those temptations and finally Yama reveals to him what you have been asked, finally, quite a long way into the Upanishad, what you have been asking for, dear boy, is this one mantra, Om, and proceeds to explain a little bit. That's in the Katha Upanishad. In Taittiriya Upanishad you find the glory of Om in many places in the Upanishads. And this Mandukya Upanishad, the first mantra which we will study today, it starts off with Om. This Upanishad is just about Om, nothing else. Now, so that's how what I am saying is, this Upanishad is concentrated. Brahma Vidya or Atma Vidya, the knowledge of Brahman or the knowledge of the self, it's, it's heavily packed into it. Nothing is wasted. I mean, sometimes you feel they could have given a little more. It's, it's so terse and straight. Now, the essential teaching of, of Vedanta is that you are that infinite reality, that infinite I. You are existence, consciousness, bliss. 
You are an infinite existence, an infinite consciousness, an infinite bliss. Not three things in one, it's just one thing, which is infinite existence, consciousness, bliss. So, this infinite existence, consciousness, bliss, Satchidananda, a name for this is Brahman. In the Upanishads, you find the name Brahman. Brahman means the vast, the vast, that which has no limit. No limit of what? No limit of existence. You are an immortal existence. No limit of consciousness. You are an infinite consciousness, an infinite bliss. So this Brahman, and this Brahman is also, the Upanishads say, Atman, the self. I just said, our real I is an infinite I. Atman means the self. Brahman literally means the vast or infinite and Atman means the self. In fact, Brahman is equal to Atman. The vast is the self or the self is infinite. This is basically the teaching of the Upanishads. All the Upanishads, all Vedanta finally boils down to this teaching that yourself, you, the real self is Brahman, the infinite. And this is expressed in the Mahavakyas, the profound sentences. When um, the Vedanta is, is beautifully taught in these profound sentences, Tattvam Asi, that thou art. There are four of them conventionally. There are four of them. Most famously, that thou art, Tattvam Asi, that you find in the Chandogya Upanishad. Another one is Aham Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. Don't worry, you too are Brahman. When I say I am Brahman, you are Brahman. So I am Brahman. Aham Brahmasmi. Another one is that is found in the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. Another one is um, Pragyanam Brahma. This very individual consciousness, the consciousness we find within ourselves, is the infinite consciousness that you find in the Aitadi Upanishad, Rigveda. Aham Brahmasmi Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, Yajur Veda, Tattvamasi Chandogya Upanishad, Sama Veda, that leaves only the Atharvana Veda, and yes, it is in this Upanishad, the one which you are going to study, the fourth of these great sentences is found. We will study that. The fourth sentence is, I am Atma Brahma. This very Atman is Brahma. Literally, this equation. I am Atma. I am means this. This very self is Brahman. I am Atma Brahma. Because of Sanskrit grammar, Atman and Brahman become Atma and Brahma. This, this is this sentence, this great sentence, Mahavakya is found in the Mandukya Upanishad, which we will study. Literally, the individual self and the absolute are one and the same thing. Now notice that this infinite, according to Advaita Vedanta, this infinite Satchidananda is what appears as this world. This world, when, it's, when Vedanta says world is false, what it means is the world is nothing other than Brahman appearing in this way. You could say the world is true also, but the world is true only in the sense of Brahman. Brahman alone, existence, consciousness, bliss appears as this world. 
We don't recognize Brahman here. We just recognize our world. Things and places and people and animals and events and space and time and matter and energy. This is what we recognize. But in reality, Vedanta claims it is nothing other than Satchidananda. So this everything here, what we experience all our lives, is nothing other than Satchidananda. And this Satchidananda exactly is what is called Brahman. And Vedanta claims Brahman is nothing other than you, the self. So, the very interesting thing is that if you inquire into the self, if you inquire into the self, you will realize the true self, which is equal to realizing Brahman, which is equal to realizing the truth about everything. I'll repeat again. An inquiry into the self is, is equivalent to an inquiry into Brahman, is equivalent to an inquiry into everything in the universe. Everything, an inquiry leads to what? Knowledge. Any inquiry leads to knowledge. You make an inquiry about um, uh, plants and you will get botany. So in the same way, an inquiry into the entire universe, to know the truth of the universe, is equal to an inquiry into Brahman, is equal to an inquiry into yourself, Atman. Sarva vichara is equal to Brahma vichara is equal to Atma vichara. What this Upanishad does is, Mandukya Upanishad, it has, it's an inquiry into yourself. It's an inquiry into ourself. But the result will be, we will not only know ourselves, but we will know ourselves as Brahman, and by extension, we will know the reality of the universe. Don't get me wrong. It, when I say you will know the reality of everything, you'll know everything by this Upanishad. I don't mean that you'll be transformed into Encyclopedia Britannica. Know it alls. No. What you will know is the reality of everything. That everything is Brahman. That much. If you want to know anything more, then you have to go to the library and find out the details. But the reality of everything is known once you know, once you know Brahman. Once you know Brahman, once you know the self, as it is taught here. One more point. This is the path of knowledge. The path of knowledge. You have to hear this Sanskrit, Shravana. You have to listen to this carefully. Come to the Upanishad, listen to it, get clarity and conviction. That is Shravana. And if all doubts have to be removed by thinking and asking questions and manana, remove all doubts, clarity and conviction. And finally, once you have got clarity and conviction, bear down upon that clear and what you are clear about and convinced about and make it into a living reality by meditation. Man, manana niridhyasana. In Sanskrit, shavana, hearing. Manana, that is. Thinking, reflection, nididhyasana, just a fancy word for dhyana, meditation. Hearing what? This one. In fact, the word Upanishad itself, if you derive it, Shankaracharya derives it to mean Upanishad, Upa plus Ni plus Sat, Upanishad. Upa plus ni plus sat. That's how you derive the word. Upa literally means going near. Going near. Going near what? Going near the text and the teacher. 
the, open, the, the Upanishad text and the teacher. That is approaching it. Approaching it. You listen to the teachings. And Ni means Nishchayena. Getting clarity and conviction. Getting clarity and conviction. And Sat has three meanings actually. Visharanagati, Avasadhana. It loosens your bondage of suffering. Sat. Visharana means to loosen. Loosen. Um, uh, Visharana actually means destroys. It destroys ignorance and uh, makes you realize what you truly are. And Avasadhana means it loosens the bondage of suffering. And the third meaning, Gati means it takes you to Brahman. It takes the individual soul to the absolute. It takes only in a figurative sense. It's not like a, a cab or a, you know, like a Uber or something you hop in to take me to Brahman. It's not like that. It, it, you, you realize that you are Brahman. So these are the three meanings. Which destroys your ignorance, which loosens the bondages of suffering and which takes you to, to Brahman or makes you realize that you are Brahman. So that's the meaning of, of Upanishad. You approach this teaching, which you have. Congratulations, you are here. And Ni, this is what we have to do over the... By the way, it's going to take uh, time. Not too much time. Maybe the, one year or a little more than that to study this. If you think that's a lot. I remember w once this teaching started in, um, in uh, Omkareshwar. When Swami was teaching... I was not there, but I heard the recordings, very scratchy old tape recordings. And somebody asked, how long is this going to take? Because they were studying not only Mandukya Upanishad and the Mandukya Karika, but also the commentary of Shankaracharya. And there is a sub-commentary on the commentary by uh, Anandagiri. So it's a big thing, long text. How long is this going to take? And the Swami said, oh, it's not a question of time, as long as you're breathing. <laughs> The, open, the Mandukya is going to continue as long as you, as you are living. And Jabtak Swas Chale, as long as the breath flows, you're going to come to class. <laughs> so I'm not asking for so much. <laughs> Give me a year, a little more than a year. All right. So Upanishad. Also, an additional remark this is the path of knowledge. We will continuously hear the truth again and again, think about it and meditate upon it. But also, at the same time, uh, an important caution, which I will repeat sometimes, do not neglect other practices. What's the position on meditation? The Mandukya will say, it's a good idea. You want to meditate, meditate. What's the position on devotion, love of God? Not bad. Do, do, do that, yes. And good works, serving others, yeah, good, do that. And moral life, very important. You must have a moral and ethical life. Moral and ethical life, unselfish work, devotion to God in whichever form you, you appreciate, you, you, your tradition tells you to do. And meditation, all these are good supporting practices, should not be abandoned. If you abandon them, you are in trouble. There is, there is always the temptation as you go along Mandukya Upanishad. I remember one senior Swami coming to our monastic training center in Belurmat. 
and asking, what are you teaching the boys? That means the young monks. So the teacher said, we are studying the Mandukya Upanishad, uh, Swami. The Mandukya, God forbid, you, they'll be turned into atheists. <laughs> they'll be turned into atheists. Uh, so the danger is there, please don't become atheists. <laughs> also, the two um, extremes. One is skepticism. Give it time. It will sink in. It will begin to make sense. The other, other end is over-enthusiasm. The people walk around with their noses in the air. What happened to you? I studied the Mandukya. <laughs> <laughs> no, the people generally tend to develop a superiority complex after this. <laughs> because you feel that we have got the truth. And the rest of you, people who, who believe in this religion or that religion, or people who don't believe in religion and atheists and materialists, all the rest seem like pygmies after this. Because you, you, you can clearly see where each person is or stuck. So don't be judgmental, don't, don't be superior, don't go to the other extreme of uh, looking down on others. All right. So let's take a look at the Mandukya Upanishad. What does it contain? Now we are in the first chapter of the Mandukya Upanishad. By the way, uh, any such text starts with what, is what are called the four preliminaries. It's not mentioned here. Shankaracharya in his commentary just touches upon it in one, one, one and a half sentences. Uh, in other books it will go on and on. You know, you remember... The qualified aspirant, who is qualified to study Vedanta, what is the subject matter of Vedanta, um, what is the purpose of studying Vedanta, and what is the connection between the text and the purpose of studying Vedanta. What are the four preliminaries? In Sanskrit, Anubandha Chatushtaya, four preliminaries. Four prelims. What are the four preliminaries? The Qualified student, qualifications. Then subject matter. Then benefit. And then for relation. I'm just mentioning by the way because one should discuss these before starting a text. Any Vedanta text, it, it will take one or two classes to discuss these things. But here Shankaracharya says, whatever are the preliminaries for all other Vedanta texts are the same preliminaries for this text and um, let's go ahead with the text. So, <laughs> he doesn't talk about it much. What are the qualifications? We know the fourfold qualifications. These are four preliminaries and fourfold qualifications. That's different. Don't get them confused. The fourfold qualifications we know are viveka, are discrimination between the eternal and the non-eternal. That there is some eternal reality to pursue. What religion, spirituality, Vedanta, whatever they say, there is, there is a truth to this. And the world is non-eternal. First one, Viveka, discrimination or separation between the two. We all have it to some extent or the other, otherwise we wouldn't be here. Why would you waste uh, uh, um, a nice uh, afternoon on, in the middle of the week, a work day uh, if you do not feel there is something worthwhile here? Second, Vairagya, dispassion. This passion for the non-eternal, for all that we have been trying to do and get happiness in life in different ways. 
you know, through relationships, through money, through name and fame, through success, through health, through beauty, all of that. This passion, that that really does not get me what I want. True and deep happiness is possible through spirituality. So, Vairagya, the second. The third one is a set of six. Now, this is getting complicated. Four prelims and then four qualifications and the set of six. So, set of six are uh, Shama, a quiet mind. If I had that Swami, I wouldn't be here. That's what I'm here for. True, but to some extent, the mind must be quiet for this higher pursuit. No higher pursuit is there in, in human civilization today. I'm telling that with, I mean, it might sound grandiose. I haven't found anything greater than this Mandukya Upanishad ever. In all the study I've done of the, of the literary, literary, philosophical, religious scriptures of the world, there's nothing higher than this. This is the final word. Are there higher texts than the Mandukya Upanishad? Yes, actually there are. There's, for example, the Ashtavakra. There's, for example, the Avadhuta Gita. But you can't learn Advaita from them. They are not meant for learning. You are, you are already, you know Advaita, you are convinced about it. Those texts just keep on hammering the one thing again and again and again. They are meant to, for meditation and calming your mind and settling down on the truth. That you are Brahman and nothing else. That's all. Those texts go on telling you that. So the, the final word in one sense is this. Beyond this, it's just... Other texts just keep on re repeating the same thing in a very grand and wonderful way, of course. So, peaceful mind is required. Then, Damaha. Damaha means control of these sense organs and motor organs. Uh, too much, I want to see this, I want to see that, I want to taste this, I'm, I'm a foodie, I'm a, a, I have a travel bug, I have a this. <laughs> then, your study of uh, Vedanta will be episodic and disturbed and... Uh, little control of the sense organs and motor organs. Then the um, third one is titiksha, a spiritual fortitude, bearing with the troubles that life throws at you. And that occasional bout of flu, that, um, um, that um, sudden, you know, somebody insults you and you don't feel good, I don't, want, I don't want to go to the class today, I feel really bad and down, those kinds of problems. Physical problems, financial problems, weather problems, a, little, a fortitude. Put up with that. I will go to class no matter what. That kind of fortitude. Titiksha. And then the uh, fourth one is Uparati. A withdrawal from um, sensory pleasure seeking. If I am engaged in partying all night and next afternoon going to Vedanta class, You'll get a hangover. You, you, you won't be able to concentrate on Vedanta. So, uparati, a withdrawal from too much uh, chasing sense pleasures. Uparati. Rati means enjoyment of sense pleasure. Uparati is reversing it. Not completely, but to the extent that, that it leaves you a little free. A little calm and relaxed so that and little clear in mind so that you can concentrate. Uparati. Yeah. And then, yes. So, question here. so Uparati is like one step higher from Dhamma. Basically, you mean like it. Dhamma is control of the sense organs. Dhamma is control of the sense organs. So that, uh, but Uparati is this general principle of not seeking 
pleasure and satisfaction in the world, you know, um, the, the idea of drown my sorrows in drink. Well, don't drown your sorrows in drink. Uh, drown your sorrows in Vedanta. So, <laughs> so uh, that is Uparati. Don't think of, don't make it a policy that uh, the world will give me pleasure. That's Rati. And reversing that approach is Uparati. Um, then Samadhana, a settledness. Once I have pulled, pulled back from the world, yes. uh, once I have pulled back from the world, don't, don't slide back into the world again. Pull back means too much engagement with the world, too much pleasure seeking in the world. Don't slide back into it again. Um, so Samadhana means settledness. Settledness in Vedanta, settledness in your meditation, settledness in your spiritual practice. Samadhana basically means, means focus. And then the last of the six, remember where we are. Yes? It's not equanimity? No, Samadhana is uh, equanimity. Uh, it, it's uh, um, a settledness in, in your Vedantic pursuit. A focus, concentration. So... And the last one is Shraddha. Remember the last of the six. Four. And here there are four. And among these four there are six. So don't get confused. Four preliminaries. The first of the preliminaries is uh, uh, the qualifications. And in the qualifications there are four qualifications. Among the four qualifications the third one is this set of six disciplines. And the sixth discipline the last one is Sh uh, Shraddha, yes. So, uh, so the, within the qualification is Sadhana Chatushti that you are explaining? Yes, the four qualifications are called Sadhan Chatushti. And the, the fourfold uh, qualifications for spiritual practice. The sixth one is um, Shraddha, a firm faith in the teachings of the teacher and the scriptures. A firm faith means, I don't get it now, but if I persevere, I'll get it. It's not a, not a call to believe, um, I mean, I'm asking you to believe without using your rational faculties. It's just enough, like a working hypothesis, that what they are saying is true, I don't get it yet, but I'll get it. If I persevere, I'll get it, I'll realize. It's like when you sign up for a course in the university. You don't sign up and the uh, first thing, you, do, you don't say that the, the teacher is a liar and the books are full of... Uh, fake news, fake news, yes. The, no, if you start with that, you'll never make any progress. How do we start a course? If I start a course in a good university, I'll start with the feeling the teacher knows what he or she is talking about, the books are all right, let me apply myself and I'll get it eventually. That's how we, anybody reasonably approaches any kind of study. That's all that is required. It's not a... You have to believe kind of thing. In fact, you must not believe. You must understand. Ultimately, understanding is what is required. Shraddha. And then you come to the fourth one. I hope you are thoroughly confused by, by all of this fourth and sixth and five. The, the fourth of the Sadhana Chatushtaya, which is Mumukshvatva. In, intense desire to be free. We, our problem is we don't even feel the bondage, let alone desire to be free. We are, we are okay. Once in a while we are miserable, that's all. 
we we come up bang against the the bars of the cage and we feel miserable but otherwise we are happy within the cage we have made a life for ourselves so intense desire to be free mumukshutvam these are the qualifications for the student that's the first what's the next preliminary subject matter what is the subject matter brahmatmaikyam i am brahman that is to be realized this i discussed a little earlier i think i am this little creature that i am brahman i am one with the divine my real nature is the absolute that i have to realize that's the subject matter that's what the upanishad teaches what is the benefit the benefit what's the purpose of all of this the purpose is um elimination of suffering and attainment of joy in sanskrit atyantika dukkha nivritti complete total elimination of suffering overcoming of suffering total um, overcoming of suffering and paramananda prapti attainment of ultimate bliss you see one swami in, in india this time pointed out one very big problem in spiritual life is we don't believe it's possible we believe it's possible to be a multimillionaire so we work very hard we believe it's possible to be a phd so we work very hard we believe this is possible and that is possible we believe it is possible to go to the moon and so the country worked so hard to put a put men on the moon but we don't believe this is possible that's why we don't take it up seriously so this um, benefit is that overcoming of suffering and attainment of of permanent deep real joy that is basically the purpose of our life that's put in another way uh, in generally in in indian philosophy that we ha- we are in a cycle of births and deaths and we are suffering we are being whirled around on this merry go round of maya and how do you get off this ride so getting freedom from the cycle of births and deaths that's normally how it is put traditionally in india but, uh, but today uh, somebody might say i don't believe in this cycle of births and deaths i i don't know i've got only this this particular life so yes a deeper understanding would be overcoming suffering and attainment of bliss that i think everybody will find acceptable because that's what everybody is trying to do anyway um Shankaracharya in his commentary here he puts it in another way he says rogartasya roga nivritti eva swasthata that means just as a sick person the medicine and the doctor removes the sickness the medicine and the doctor does not give him health medicine and the doctor removes the sickness and his natural state is health in the same way what does the upanishad do our suffering is caused by this samsara and the nature of this samsara is duality and this upanishad will remove duality dvaita advaita bhava eva prayojanam he does not mean words the whole benefit of this is advaita bhava non duality we attain non duality i am this one non-dual reality which is brahman which is also this multifarious universe so the ground of multiplicity the ground of duality 
is non-duality. The reality of behind this duality is non-duality and I am that non-dual reality. This is what the Upanishad is going to give us. Shankaracharya says, and it's interesting, the word for health in Sanskrit and many Indian languages is swastha. It literally means being established in the self. Swastha means established in the self. And finally the fourth one, relation. This is a technical point. The question is, you're talking about knowledge of the self. I am Brahman. But what you're studying is a book. So what's the relationship between the book and knowledge of the self? The, the relationship is, they say, bodhya bodhaka. One teaches you about the other. One informs you about the other. So the text will teach us about our real self, which is the non-dual Brahman. I'll repeat, what, what relationship are we talking about? When you talk about a relationship, it always has to be between at least two things. So what are the two things they're talking about? The knowledge of Brahman and the text which you have got in your hands. What's the connection? The text will tell you about your real nature. That's all. Bodhya bodhaka. The thing to be understood is I am Brahman. That which will make me understand is the book in your hands. So that's the relationship. So these are technicalities anyway. Four preliminaries. I have gone in detail in, in, into them at least a little bit. Shankaracharya just dispenses with it in one sentence. All right. Okay, we have time. Good. Because we haven't started yet. Now, what is the Upanishad about? What does it do actually? The Upanishad has 12 mantras and it undertakes two kinds of enquiry. Two kinds of enquiry. Atma vichara, Omkara vichara. An inquiry into the Atman, into yourself, the self, as you would expect. What am I? An inquiry into that. Because the, they will ultimately show us that you are that we are Brahman, an inquiry into that. And the second one, interestingly, is an inquiry into the mantra Om. So the Upanishad does two things. Um, Om inquiry and self-inquiry. <coughs> Should it be the E inquiry or I? I can never make up which. It's an I. Okay, fine. Now, I put the OM before because actually it starts with the OM inquiry. What is the OM inquiry and how is it related and what's the point? The self-inquiry we understand because if we are going to realize I am Brahman, we need to inquire into ourselves because what we think of ourselves right now and what the Upanishad is going to teach us it will be uh, done through inquiry. But what's, where does this Om inquiry come in? The first mantra is about the Om inquiry. And the second mantra is about the self inquiry. The first mantra which we will do just now is about Om inquiry. And the second mantra is about the self inquiry. And then the self inquiry is developed further in the mantras 3, 4, 5, 6, 
and 7. So the self-inquiry is complete at the 7th mantra. Whereas in the Om inquiry, it starts with the first mantra. And after the self-inquiry is, is complete, we come back to the Om inquiry in the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th and 12th mantras. The Om inquiry is completed in the 12th mantra. So 12 mantras in the Mandukya Upanishad, Mandukya Upanishad finished, that's all. That's all that there is to it. Now what is going on here? Okay, let me, the self-enquiry, one technique is given. Entire Mandukya Upanishad depend, and Mandukya Karika also is dependent on one technique. Technique of what? Of revealing to us that we are Brahman. There are different techniques in Vedanta. We know of the technique of Panchakosha, the five layers, you know, the Annamaya, Pranamaya, Manomaya, Vijnanamaya, Anandamaya, five layers of the human personality leading to the real self. Or we have studied the Drigdrishya Viveka. There are different techniques. This has the technique of the three states, waking, dreaming and sleeping. Waking, dreaming and sleeping. So the self-enquiry will be based on uh, a close look at our experiences of waking, dreaming and sleeping. I often say there are different approaches to religion. The most common approach to religion is the bhakti approach, devotional approach. You are told that God exists. How do I know? Believe it. Then what do I do? Then worship God. We will tell you prayers and rituals by which you will believe in God and worship God and love God and adore God and serve God with the ultimate goal that God will reveal himself, herself, itself to you and you will be blessed, attain salvation. It's basically based on belief. You start with belief and that's the general understanding of religion. Look at the word used for religion in this country, faith, faith. What's your faith? As we will see in the Mandukya, nothing could be further. Mandukya is not a faith. It's, it's, it's almost just the opposite. So the first one approach, the broadest approach, most common approach to religion is faith-based. Another way of approaching religion is not believing this or that, but experiencing it. Vivekananda came to this country more than 100 years ago and he said, Religion is realization, not believing in this or that, but realization. If God exists, I must see God. If I have an immortal soul, I must know it. So, realization. How the, the Patanjali Yoga, yoga techniques in, in, in Patanjali Yoga, they will give you a set of exercises, techniques. Sit in this way, breathe in that way, visualize in this way, meditate in the other way and so and so forth and you will have a series of extraordinary experiences. You will have a series of extraordinary experiences, samadhis, which will prove to you the truth of religion. Do you see the difference between the first approach and the second approach? The first approach is you believe and whatever will happen will depend on this God you believe in. The second approach is you don't start with belief. You start with practice, technique and you're trying to gain Experience. What experiences? Extraordinary experience. Not our day-to-day -day experiences. Extraordinary yogic experiences which will reveal the truth of religion to you. That's the yogic approach. Second approach.
the approach taken here is yet a different approach. The approach in Advaita is not faith. You're not starting with faith. You are not even looking for extraordinary experiences. Here is the beauty of Advaita. You are only taking up experiences which are available to everybody. Do you wake? Are you awake? Do you dream? Do you sleep? Good enough. You are qualified for Mandukya Upanishad. <laughs> so, the common experiences of day-to-day -day life, if you have those experiences, we all have it, what Mandukya will do, what Vedanta does is, it takes us by the hand and shows us the secret hidden here. That's why the, the uh, realization here is, in Advaita it's often called the open secret. In fact, Swami Vivekananda gave a lecture called the open secret. The open secret means it's hidden, it's a secret. And yet it's hidden in plain sight. One teacher said it's like your nose. It's right here. If you're looking straight ahead, actually, you can't see it. You need to be taught how to see. There's a particular way of seeing your nose. <laughs> so it's right there. The truth is right with us. But it just needs to be seen. And we need to be taught how to see it. So it's always available truth. Continuously available truth. I often say God is in front of us. He's literally doing this. And we, we don't know, where is God? So it's closer than the closest. To, to see this most obvious of truths, what Vedanta does is, it uses our always available experiences. Waking, dreaming, sleeping. What could be simpler than that? It does not even demand of you, you'll have extraordinary yogic experiences. No, 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 no. So that's what the um, Upanishads do. And the self-inquiry here takes up waking, dreaming, sleeping. These, these experiences. These are, this is called avasthatraya vichara. The inquiry into the three states. Avasthatraya. Avasthatraya vichara. What are the three states? Waking. Dreaming, sleeping. It's not an invitation to go to sleep. You remember waking experience most important. Why? This is Vedantin Sara peculiar lot. They say waking experience is very very important. Why? Because it enables you to study Vedanta. That's why waking is important. It doesn't say it enables me to earn money, my living, and enables me to have a family and and go about my business of life. All that is unimportant for Vedanta. It en enables you to come to the Mandukya class and that's the only importance of the wake waking state. In fact, yes, one of the um, Swamis in Uttarakhand said, I'll tell you in Hindi and translate into English. Jagrat swapna ye to halki phulki hai. Sushupti hi asli avastha hai. You see, waking and dreaming, these are light states. These are superficial states. Deep sleep, now that's a state. He's not joking. He says, an, not that he's asking you to go into deep sleep, but he says, um, an inquiry into deep sleep is very, very inter interesting. All right. So what? How is it related to Om? Now, Om, 
the sound om om is is the prob probably the holiest mantra in all of hinduism in all of buddhism in all of sikhism in jainism in all the indian religions om is all, all pervading whether they are dualists or non dualists whether they believe in god or do not believe in god whether they are hindus or not hindus om is common to all of them so um there was even a time magazine cover on om <laughs> on the popularity of meditation techniques now the sound om is produced like this if i if i make a sound with my lips open uh and then i proceed to close my lips gently till they are completely closed you will generate om watch this or, or listen to this om try it don't be shy om right it's the same effort the same sound it changes from a to to um as you close your lips the entire range is generated from the opening of the mouth to the closing of the mouth to the sealing of the lips oh um so the om is actually a u m om but the rules of sanskrit grammar say you can't pronounce it aum a and u together they make o so together it's o therefore the correct pronunciation is om the correct pronunciation is not aum uh, so when you pronounce it om you're doing it right but basically you see it will go through a u m aum so this is the mantra om Yes the question is does it correspond to the three states yes but before that let me add very quickly something which will we will discuss in detail later on you will just see now the upanishad will say om is all of this is everything in the universe is om let's read the first mantra let's get started so you'll at least have the satisfaction of in the first class we did something we we started the first mantra the first mantra as you will see is begins the om enquiry first one and then we'll we'll abandon it we will go into the self enquiry and this will take some time we'll finish that and then come back and complete the om enquiry the first mantra says Aryom <laughs> All right please repeat after me the first mantra Om ityetad aksharam Om ityetad aksharam idagam sarvam idagam sarvam tasya upavyakhyanam tasya upavyakhyanam bhutam bhavad bhavishyad भूतम भवद भविष्यद इति सर्वम इति सर्वम ओंकार एव ओंकार एव यच्छेत 
त्रिकालातीत तदप्योकार तदप्योकार वट डज इट मीन दिस मंत्र दिस लेटर ओम अक्षर हेयर मीन्स दि लेटर दिस लेटर ओम इज इंडीड ऑल दिस ऑल दिस मीन्स द एंटायर यूनिवर्स वॉट एवर बी एक्सपीरियंस एंड एक्सप्लेनेशन ऑफ दिस अ क्लियर एक्सप्लेनेशन ऑफ दिस बिगिन्स नाउ नाउ मीन्स दिस उपनिषद what i just said om is all this a clear explanation of this begins now all this means what bhutam that all that exists now from here to the furthest galaxy bhavishyat what is going to exist in future uh bhavat means that which exists bhutam means that which was past all that existed in the past whatever existed from the beginning of the universe in the past and even before the beginning of the universe all that existed in the past everything that exists now and everything that what whatsoever is going to exist in the future all of it is om sarvam omkarayeva all of it is om only nothing other than om and that which is beyond the three uh three times past present and future that which transcends time that reality is also om whatever is within time which means within maya is om that which is beyond time is also om what is beyond time nirguna brahman and brahman plus maya that is saguna brahman that is beyond time that's also om the name of the ultimate reality brahman is om and and everything that we see manifested here all around that is om that's been said here what it means we will discover slowly before i go into the final phase of this class which will be the final phase of every class um it will be a meditation on om let me just quickly add uh, let me just quickly elucidate here or just indicate here what's meant by this what do you mean everything is om om is a word like if i say book book is a word it the that word book is not even this thing it's a thing it's quite apart from the word book right it's just one word and one thing how can one word om be everything in the universe well like this om is the substratum of all names Did you see that all the sounds the range of sounds is covered when we make om from opening the lips to slowly closing it and completely closing it om so all the sounds that you can generate different positions of the lips and the tongue that's how we generate different sounds so all sounds the matrix the basis of all sounds is om are you with me on this because our our range of producing sounds is is from the open lips to the closed lips and of course various manipulations of the tongue within our mouth so all sounds are contained within om all sounds are manifestations of om and all names are combinations of those sounds i'll repeat all sounds are generated from the basis of om and all names are what are just combinations of sounds book pen 
flower. These are combinations of sounds. And all the sounds are generated from Om. Now, these names correspond to different things in the universe. Right? These names correspond to different things in the universe. All the different things in the universe are just names and forms superimposed upon one existence, Brahman. Brahman, existence, consciousness, place, plus various forms are this universe. What is this universe? Of tables and chairs, men and women, and stars and quasars and quarks. All of them are names and forms of one reality called Brahman. That's what Advaita Vedanta wants to say. Remember, we, are not, we have not proved all this. This is, a, this is the claim. So the entire universe of various names and forms, it all reduces to one reality called Brahman. It's, Brahman alone appears as all of this, this universe. And all the things in the universe have names. And all the names are nothing other than appearances of Om. So all names are appearances of Om. All forms are appearances of Brahman. They correspond to each other. The names correspond to forms. In that sense, Om is all of this. Are you with me? I'll repeat. All names are generated from sounds. All sounds originate from Om. Okay? In, you know, in what sense? All forms are basically nothing other than Brahman with a net of Maya over them. This entire universe, according to Vedanta, there is only Satchidananda. And e everything else is a form superimposed by Maya. Satchidananda, Brahman alone is appearing in all these forms. So these forms and names are, are they correspond to each other. And Om is the source of all names. Brahman is the source of all forms. Om is also the name of Brahman. In Yoga Sutra it says, Tasya Vachaka Pranava. The name of the Absolute, if you can give it a name at all, is Om. So, everything that is within time has names. And all names originate from Om. So, the all names are nothing other than Om. In that sense, Om is everything. And that which is beyond time, Brahman, the name of Brahman is also Om. So, Om is also that which is beyond time. This is the meaning. And it's not the correct meaning. Yes, because it just said everything that is past, present and future is Om. You understand that part? How? How is everything that is past, present and future that is Om? Yeah. Because everything that is in the universe, past, present and future, they are all different forms of Brahman, none other than Brahman. They all have names. They all have names. They are expressed by names. Names are nothing other than combinations of sounds. Sounds are all manifestations of Om. We literally saw how we speak Om. So everything, all names are nothing other than Om. And the things denoted by those names are what exists in past, present and future. But what exists beyond past, present and future, beyond time. Brahman exists beyond time. Maya exists beyond time. That is also Om because Upanishads say and the Yoga Sutras say the name of the ultimate, the name of God is Om. So Om is not only all that is within time, Om is that which is beyond time also. And I just said this is not the correct meaning. There is a deeper meaning, but I'll have to 
it did not say that Om is the name of all that exists. Did you notice what it said? It said Om is all that exists, past, present and future. How can a word be all that exists in past, present and future? No time for that now. It, it requires a deep investigation, which I, uh, maybe next time I'll tell you. But now let's go to the last phase of the class. Why is Om in included here? You see, the self-inquiry should be enough to reveal to us, I am Brahman, and indeed it is enough. But Om, the Om inquiry is, is introduced here as a support, as a help, as a practice, as a technique. And that support, help or practice we will use. Simple uh, experience, waking, dreaming and sleeping. You know, Raman Maharshi once said, um, somebody asked him, maybe after studying Vedanta that you, have, you need all these qualifications to study Vedanta. So somebody is scared and went to Raman Maharshi and asked, am I qualified to study Vedanta? Am I qualified for enlightenment? And Raman Maharshi said, did you say I I qualify. Yes, then you're qualified. If you say I, you're qualified to ask who am I? If you use the term I, you're qualified to ask who am I? In the same way, if you, if you, if you are awake, if you dream, if you sleep, you can perfectly follow this method. And to help you along the way, this OM inquiry is included as a support, as a technique. What does it say? This A-U-MA. A-U-M. Remember, this is not A, it is A, the Sanskrit A. And this is U. And this is Ma. Om. Now, the, connect the A to the waking. Connect means in your mind. Make a link. And just as you decide to call this thing a pen, and this thing a shirt, and this thing a mic, in the same way, call the waking world and you the waker, this body and yourself as the waker and your waking life, all of it, the knower and the known, in the, that an entire pair, waker and the waker's world, call it a. And the u related to dreaming. The dreamer and his or her dream, the dream world. And ma connected to deep sleep. The blankness. This, I will not even say the sleeper and the deep sleep world. Because the sleeper and the deep sleep world are all merged in one darkness. You don't have an experience of I am in deep sleep now. In dream at least you have an experience. Something is going on. And in waking of course you have an experience. Something is going on. Connected. Ah, oh, when you say or think about it, waking and waking world, my life here. When you slide into the ooh, my dreams, whatever kind of dreams I have, I, I am dreaming in a world that is ooh. As you slide and conclude with mmm, that is the deep sleep, blank, nothing. And the one Consciousness, the one consciousness which experiences the waking, dreaming and deep sleep. It's, it's not connected, it's not limited to the waking. 
You are the same one who was awake. You are the same one who was dreaming. You are the same one who had the experience of deep sleep. These are not states of consciousness. These are states of the mind. These are states of the mind. So this, this one is called the fourth, the Turiya. Why fourth? You the waker, you are, the, you are first. You as the dreamer, you are second. You as the deep sleeper, you are third. But you as the consciousness which experienced all of them. This, remember, this fourth one alone, this consciousness alone, in the waking state becomes the waker. This consciousness alone, you the consciousness alone, in the dream state you are the dreamer. This consciousness alone, experiencing the blankness of deep sleep, you are called the sleeper. One, two and three are different forms or dresses that this consciousness puts on. This, this, so this fourth, the Sanskrit word for the fourth is Turiya. This word you come across in, in Gaudapada's karikas. So I am the fourth. The whole trick in Vedanta is that I think of myself as the one, as the waker. Here I am, sitting in Vedanta class, trying to learn Vedanta. Here, this is me. Vedanta says, it, this is not really you. The real you is hidden behind the waker as this fourth consciousness. This is the real consciousness. It's like a person who opens the door of her shop and transacts business, sells and buys, and then shuts the shutters and goes into the another room and opens a TV and watches a TV, then switches off the TV and retires into a third room and tucks himself into bed. The first one is the waker who transacts with the world through the doors of the senses, shuts down the shutters of the senses, and goes to sleep and dreams. That's like the, watching TV. And then switches off the TV. Deep sleep. But whether it's in the first room and uh, as, uh, conducting business or relaxing in the second room and watching TV or sleeping in the third room, it's the same man. The shopkeeper and the TV watcher and the sleeper in the third room, they are all three appearances of one person. That one person is the reality. Our, in our ignorance, we consider this waking individual to be the reality. Here I am, I am real, and this world is real. These problems are my problems. They all disappear when you go into the dreaming. And all the good and bad things in the dreams, the nice dreams and the, uh, the nightmares, they all disappear when everything merges in the darkness of deep sleep. Who is the one experiencing all of them? That fourth. That's the silence after Om. When you say Om, that silence expresses the fourth. The A uh expresses the waking, the U expresses the dreamer, the M mm expresses deep sleep and the deep sleeper, and the silence after that expresses. The one reality. Remember, this silence is crucial. This silence underlies the A-U-M-A. This silence is apart. When all the three have ceased, the A has merged into the U, has merged into the M, and the M merges into the silence. All three have ceased. The silence continues.
And when all three are there, that's the trick. The silence is underneath that also. Similarly, that, that fourth, the pure consciousness, the Atman, the Turiya, is right here. Only just put on the dress of the waker now. When you go to sleep tonight and dream, it will put on the dress of the sleeper, uh, of, the, of the dreamer. When you merge into deep sleep, that fourth consciousness alone will, the fourth one, will only put on the dress of the deep sleeper. Okay, I will end with a short meditation. This is something that we'll repeat um, every time. Just a few minutes. There's always the urge to tell everything at once, which is a bad idea. All right, the meditation is very simple. I will repeat Om three times at a stretch. And uh, you don't repeat it. You just listen to the Om and think with your eyes closed and sitting relaxed. You just think when the O is coming, you think of the waking world, your life, your body, mind, this person you are. As it merges into the U, it will be one continuous O. Imagine it mer- merging into the dream state. Your dreams, you don't have to remember any particular dream, just <coughs> generic dreaming. And how the whole waking world is gone, how the waker is gone, and it's a, some kind of a vague dream that's going on. And then that merges into the blankness of deep sleep. There is no knower, there is no known, it's oneness blank. And beyond that, in the silence, drop the waking and the waker, drop the dreaming and the dreamer, drop the deep sleep and the deep sleeper. What is there? I will repeat thrice, then you will continue to do it by yourself just for a few minutes, and then I will, we will all chant Om three times together and you come out of it. So first three times I will chant and you try to connect it to waking, dreaming, deep sleep and most importantly beyond. Okay.
we will chant om together three times Open your eyes. Any quick questions, observations? Yes. Yes. Victoria is not a separate state. It is the state of being that is always there. Experience. Correct. Turiya is not separate, not even a state. Waking is a state. Dreaming is a state. Deep sleep is a state. And they are states of the mind. Turiya is not a state. It is the reality itself. It is consciousness itself. In it, the states appear, exist, play, and disappear. Turiya is the reality. It's, it's consciousness itself. Also, as you said, it's not separate. Rather, waking, dreaming, and deep sleep are not separate from Turiya. It is because of Turiya that the waking world is illumined. Because of consciousness, we are able to experience this. It is because of Turiya that you are able to experience dreams. It is because of Turiya that you are able to experience the blankness, the absence of waking and dreaming. They all rotate in the light of Turiya. Turiya exists by itself, independently of all of them. They exist dependent on Turiya. Yes. Turiya literally means the four. Yes. Transcendental meditation research, they say that the meditative state is measurably different from waking, sleeping, and dreaming uh, through brain waves and whatnot. And uh, so does that map into Surya in any way or is that unrelated? Um, the meditative state will be a, a, some variety of the deep sleep state, the deepest meditative states. <coughs> so Turiya is not a meditative state. Look at the language used, state. So state must be a state of the mind. Scattered mind, meditative mind, waking mind, sleeping mind, dreaming mind, and obviously the uh, EEG readouts of all of them will be different. But Turiya shines unaffected nevertheless. That's what you are. Yeah. We'll see. There are... Uh, Many more interesting things to come, lots and lots. It's a, we are unpacking a treasure ch chest. Yes. What is the language? Do you, do you experience Turiya or, or how do you say it? Oh, their language breaks down. Now, do you experience Turiya? Not quite. So is it just a theory? Not at all. In fact, Turiya is the basis of all experience. <coughs> Turiya is the basis of all experience. What is experience, if I ask you? Experience is nothing other than this consciousness being channeled through the mind and the senses. And then you see this. I am experiencing a pen now. What's happening? Here's the pen. 
and light is being reflected of it going into my eyes exciting the uh, the uh, uh, the neurons there they're sending impulses to the brain somehow an image of this pen is con conveyed to the mind i'm saying somehow because at that point our knowledge breaks down modern scientific knowledge somehow it's con conveyed to the mind in the mind a vritti a movement of the mind of the form of the pen is generated and that shines in the light of consciousness which is Turiya. That's an experience of the pen. It takes a long time to state it. It happens in an instant. Every experience is, is happening in the light of consciousness. Now, consciousness itself is the basis of all experience. Is it an experience? It's not an experience in itself. It's rather the enabler of all experience. And it's you. So is it beyond experience? In one sense, yes, it cannot be objectified in an experience. In another sense, no, because it's really you. It's what you are. It's what I am, actually. So, one Swami put it this way. Mandukya Upanishad does not seek to give you a new experience. It seeks to reveal to you the, the significance of any experience. All experiences actually point back towards the Thurya. It's happening in, it's like this light lights up every object in the room. Every object that you experience in the room is because of that light. In one sense, everything you experience in this room, everything you see in this room is pointing you back towards that light. It's telling you about the existence of that light. So you are that light, yes. Yes. So Thurya and Atma are the same? Are the same. Turiya is just the word used here for Atma. Turiya means fourth. Why fourth? Waker is first, dreamer is second, deep sleeper is third, and Turiya will be the fourth. Why is one, two, three, four? Because the moment self-enquiry will start, we'll see in the next class. How does the self-enquiry proceed? The Upanishad will say the self has four aspects. First, second, third, and fourth. The first three aspects are appearances, false. The fourth aspect is the reality. That's what it will say, say. What are the first three aspects? Waker, dreamer, deep sleeper. They are not real. They are not real in the sense they are not the ultimate reality. The shopkeeper is not the ultimate reality. The TV watcher is not the ultimate reality. The example which I gave, the, deep, the one in his pajamas sleeping in bed is not the ultimate reality. The person is the reality who is doing all these things. In the same way, it is that one consciousness who cycles through all of these, which is the ultimate reality. Hmm. Okay, last one. A quick question on the preliminary we discussed earlier. Yes. The third preliminary was... Ends. Benefit. Benefit. Uh, I'm curious if you would consider just um, seeking truth for the sake of seeking truth and understanding. Would you consider that as a benefit as well? Correct. That's the noblest aspiration. No matter what it does, does it make me unhappy or happy or whatever it is? If I need to know what's going on here, nothing better than Mandukya Upanishad. It reveals the truth about you, it reveals the truth about the universe. I said, an inquiry into everything is equal to an inquiry into Brahman, is equal to an inquiry into the self. Once you realize what I am truly, this Turiyam, you realize that the secret behind the entire universe. In one, in one sense, I'm not, again, it will not become a scientific dictionary, but 
you will realize the reality of everything. You come to a state, as one mystic put it very beautifully, once you realize this, you find something within yourself which cannot be improved. Nothing that you can add to it will make it better. There is nothing that you can take away from it which will make it worse. In Gita puts it in other words, young labdhva, getting which nothing greater remains to be got in life. Established in which the greatest of sorrows cannot cannot shake you. This means that by the heaviest of sorrows you will remain unshaken. Where are the sorrows? You, the sorrows are located in your waking state, in your dream state. In your deep sleep also there is no sorrow. I often say the sickest person, the worst person in the state, you know, in Mount Sinai, in the, uh, in the, um, the uh, intensive care unit of Mount Sinai, who is going to maybe pass away, really is going to die tomorrow or day after tomorrow. Worst case. That's also something that's happening in his waking state. The moment that guy goes into a dream state, that thing is gone. Or at least into the deep sleep state, everything is gone. And none of these states are actually in the Turiya. They are all play of the Turiya. The Turiya appears, shines forth in all of these ways. Many, many things are there to be said. Stories and wonderful ideas, very startling insights all over the next year. By the blessings of Takurma and Swamiji. Yes. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastur.